fam, love and salutations, good people. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Slow Wealth Podcast. That is Success Lives on Elevation. We are Kendra. And Ramon. And as we have with our previous podcast, we always start with a powerful motivational quote. It starts by saying, if you wish to move mountains tomorrow, you must start by lifting stones today. If you wish to move mountains tomorrow, you must start by lifting stones today. So move the little stuff first before yeah. you get to the big stuff. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. It's a little African proverb. It's a, yes, it is an African po- proverb. I, I can't proverb. today. <laughs> and the stock market. <laughs> a little inside mm-hmm. joke. All right, y'all. Well, today, um, we just want to give you a quick synopsis of the housing market and the stock market. Stock market. Stock market. (laughs) Um, For the housing market, of course, demands are up in higher housing areas. That's people who have higher incomes and um, live in um, higher or more expensive, excuse me, housing markets. So high value homes are in higher demand. Um, than less expensive or cheaper homes and, you know, regions in certain urban areas. So the people that live in high value homes are refinancing or they're moving out of the city because they're working from home. So they need a uh, space, you know, living space and then now workspace. So they're like, look, let's move up out the city, move into the suburbs, take advantage of these low interest rates. And then people that are renting are like, hey, rents are declining as far as rent costs in many areas. Yeah, some areas. Yeah, especially the Northeast. Like Northeast, like, of course, New York and, you know, those areas. Yeah, because nobody will pay, you know, a million and a half dollars for a two-bedroom house. (laughs) Right. Just because it's in New York City. Exactly. Exactly. And the people that are actually... uh, purchasing these suburban homes are your millennials they're taking advantage of you know the lower interest rates that's smart of these younger of the younger generation you know getting a head start you know must be listening to slow wealth they must be and thank you so much for listening to slow wealth you can catch us at or you can contact us at invest at slowwealth.com. That is I-N-V-S-T at S-L-O-E-W-E-A-L-T-H. Thank you so much. But going back um, to the housing market, I mean, it's starting to decline just a little bit. Um, well, this is usually the time of the year where it does slightly. But I don't think it's, it's, it's a decline from where it probably was a month or so ago. But it's still higher. Two months ago. But it's still higher than usual. It is. It is. It. It. They saw a small decline in um, September, and they meaning us, of course, the housing market. Um, but you got the elections coming up, you know, so a lot of people is weary. So a lot of people is not selling. You got to think if it is going down because a lot is not enough sellers on the market. That's so true. I mean, there is still a deficit <laughs> of sellers, but there's a ton of buyers. People want to buy. They're like, man, just give me something. Right, they right. Buy a trailer, manufacturer home, they don't care. Mm-hmm. But if you are buying, please do not get desperate. Don't get desperate. Yeah, don't get desperate. Don't buy anything that you wouldn't have purchased before the interest rates declined. And what about the stock market? Let's kind of touch on that briefly. I mean, stocks is, hey, this is going to be the time real quick in the stock market where the people who really invest in stocks, this is going to be the time where you get tested because with the election coming up and there's everything that, you know, it's going to be a good pullback on a lot of these companies and a lot of these stocks where it's going to really see who who's the, you know, who can who can really go the, you know, the, the long distance because you're going to see a lot of red. Red doesn't mean panic, sell. Red can mean load up more and buy more of that company, especially if you do your research on that company and you know that that's a good company to invest in long-term, like the Tesla. So, you know, this is going going to really, you know, show 
show who's really in it, you know? Yeah, show it, it does um, weed out the novices or the people Sorry. who's not serious about the market because, not because you don't have the money to spend in the market, but the knowledge of investing may, you know, may be minimal. So it definitely weeds those people out. And the first, one of the first reasons of investing is you don't invest in something that you don't know and you don't understand. That's the quickest way to lose your money. If you don't know what you're investing in, save your money, do your research, and then come in on it. Well, I read a couple of articles um, that discussed um, the presidential election, and they said that uh, the presidential election doesn't really imply anything. It's because you know it's not guaranteed. It's it's just a prediction to on either side that basically is kind of scaring people into either buying a ton of things or selling, you know, at um, lower prices than they would have normally sold. Yeah, but uh, historically speaking, after the election, the stocks actually do do better, um, if not where they're at already. So I don't see that the election is going to make the tank stock. I mean, we could be wrong. A lot of the economists, you know, have been wrong. You mean the so. stocks tank? I said tank. You said tank stocks. Oh, well, the stocks are tank. <laughs> tank stocks. I know what I'm saying. So. <laughs> uh, you know, I just don't think it's going to be a time where people should just pull out their stocks and they're going to be scared. It's like the economy is at probably is worse, I would hope. Um, so, I mean, it really only has anywhere to go but up from here. And there's some, there's some companies that's been booming since this shit, you know, shit, since this happened, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, like the Tesla, the Amazon, the Google, I mean, so, them is a company, stocks that if you have those, you don't want to, you don't want to sell them. Right. So. I mean, you know, sell if you want to, but. You if know, you got to, you know what I'm saying, yeah. if you're like, I need $10, you know what I'm saying, no. <laughs> yeah, don't, uh, don't sell it, I would keep it. So. Yeah, so would I, I would, I would hold all right, so let's get into today's subject. We got a lot of little, lot of little information, you know what I'm saying? We want to give y'all, so we don't want to waste too much time. So Yes. Let's go. It's about 1031 exchanges. What are 1031 exchanges? You said 1031 what? Exchanges. Exchanges. You, you, there's no S except at the end of exchanges. And if it's just exchange, there's no S in it, period. Thank you, librarian, sir. <laughs> All right. All right. So the 1031 exchange. Okay, that sounds weird. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot say that word. Okay, so I what? can't say one word. <laughs> and it's a simple word that I always cannot say ask. It's like, what? Ask. Ask. I ask. But I think when I don't think about saying it, I say it like X. Like A X E, you know. X. I, I'll chop your arm off. Right. Yeah. Chop, chop, chop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're being yeah, silly yeah. right now. So, That's a 1031 good. exchange. What is a 1031 exchange? A 1031 exchange gets its name from Section 1031 of the U.S. Internal Revenue Code, which allows you to avoid paying capital gains taxes when you sell an investment property and reinvest the proceeds from the sale within a certain time uh, limit in a property or properties of like kind and equal or greater in value. Now under section um, 1031, any proceeds received from the sale of the property remain taxable. For that reason, proceeds from the sale must be transferred to a qualified intermediary, which will, Ramon will explain later, um, rather than uh, the seller of the property. So in layman's term, when you buy, when you sell a property, you have to move all that money into another property, which is a, they call a like kind. And you have to, to, to fulfill the 1031 exchange Requirement. you ha requirements. There are certain things that we'll go over, but um, that's basically you just taking the money from the sale of that property and you moving into another property and you're able to defer the taxes and we'll kind of get into that in a little bit but so all right let's go to the to the questions okay so who can use 
or who could take advantage of doing a 1031 exchange? I guess you kind of answered that, but can you like elaborate a little bit more? Anybody, anyone who owns a property and you don't have to own the property outright. Like you don't, you can have a mortgage on the property. You can own it and ha not have no mortgage. Um, you, anybody basically can use it. So there's really no, pretty much no limit on that. Um, yeah, I think I think that's what just that really like because there's no limit. Like there's people that probably be like, well, if I got a mortgage, can I use yes? And if I own the cash, can I yes? Uh, that there's exceptions to to if you can do a 1031 exchange, and I don't want to get ahead of myself on that because mm -hmm. um, I will, will actually say that. But there's really no limit on anybody who can use it. But it's specifically for people that own a property and are selling a property. Right. Yes. The purpose of the 1031 is to buy and sell and then buy again. <laughs> <laughs> you bought the property, you, you're selling it, and you want to transfer right. those funds to a new property. Yeah, any property you own, um, you're able to do a 1031 exchange into another property. Now, you the only uh, you can't like have farming equipment, sell that, and then go buy an apartment building. Mm -hmm. So it's like it has to be the same kind of, property as far as an asset class okay. so you can sell a house and take that money and go buy four houses oh, okay. or you can sell four houses and go buy an apartment building mm -hmm. so it has to be in the same asset class okay so okay. There, yeah all right so that yeah that definitely makes sense uh let's see so um how can you benefit from a 1031 exchange so you can benefit yeah, this is the good way. Let's flex so, their muscles. So this 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 is this is how you benefit from a ten thirty one exchange. So, like we said before, you're able to defer the taxes. So normally, when you buy a property, and then let's say a couple years later, or whatever, you sell it, and it's worth more than what you bought it for. If you sell it, and you say, "I'm gonna take them. We're gonna take the money, put it in the bank." Well, what's gonna happen is. If you're in a state that has state taxes, income taxes, you're gonna have to, you're gonna owe for income tax for the state, federal. You know, Uncle Sam gonna take his cut, and then they have what you call a depreciation recapture tax. So because you own a property, according to the IRS rules, your property is given a, a I'll say a shelf life, so to speak, mm -hmm. of 27 and a half years. So you would take that and I think you divide it by the purchase price um, or the value. I can't remember which one. And you're able to deduct that amount on your taxes every year. So it's kind of like you, you're, 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 you're lessening the, the tax amount that you owe. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're able to take part of your depreciation. But if you sell the property and you don't do a 10 dollars exchange, now you got to get that back. So you're gonna owe state taxes, federal taxes, depreciation recapture tax, and then um, some states they have a uh, what they call a net in net investment income tax. I think it's like three point eight percent. And then like we had the excise tax. Oh wow, that was lovely. And that was like twelve thousand dollars. <laughs> so you got all these taxes that you'll have to pay. So if you sell your house and you end up with a hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> now you gotta take out all them taxes. Right. Which could be like twenty-five to forty percent. So now you might walk away with fifty. Maybe a little bit more. That's if you decide to take the cash instead of doing the ten thirty one exchange. Yeah, this is if you like, I don't wanna do ten thirty one exchange. I just want the money in my pocket. You sell your house, you end up with a hundred thousand. After taxes, you might walk away about 60. Let's say 60 to 70. So you're giving them 30 to 40 thousand dollars. So that doesn't make sense to me. I don't want to give you that. Um, and now that you know, that could be something where if you like, look, I don't want to invest in real estate no more. I don't want to own no property. I want to go rent. I'm broke. I need some money. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> that, you know, but you benefit because, and now this is the good way, is when you do the 1031 exchange, you sell your property. Uncle Sam says, take that money, that $100,000 you got, you can't touch it. If you can't touch it at all, that's where the exchange facilitator comes involved. 
they hold the money in the trust for you. So they you take that $100,000 and you move it to another property. And as long as you do that, all those taxes that you would have had to pay, you can now defer it. It's basically like an IOU to IRS. You say, hey, I'm going to pay you those taxes, those 25 40%. I'm going to pay that just not right now. And every time you do an exchange, you can still do you can do the same thing. I owe you to the IRS. The IRS. <laughs> it's the IOU. I'm gonna pay you them taxes. <laughs> just not right now. Right. So that's how you know you can benefit from it. All right. So uh just to uh go over some of the reasons that you mentioned, um, the reason why you would do uh or consider utilizing a 1031 exchange is you may be seeking a property that has better return prospects or you may wish to diversify your assets. Um, if you are the owner of investment real estate, you might be looking for a, a managed property rather than managing one yourself. Uh, you might want to consolidate several properties into one for the purpose of estate planning, which you'll kind of talk about a little bit. Um, for example, um, you might want to divide a single property into several assets. Um, or you may, as Ramon mentioned, um, reset the de depreciation clock. And uh, just in case you don't know what depreciation is, it's the percentage of cost of an investment property that is written off every year, recognizing the effects of wear and tear. Um, so that kind of um, is adjusted on the pro you know on the basis of the property your accountant will do all that yes absolutely yes yeah, so you should definitely have an accountant all right so all right the... so on to the next question um and who also benefits from the 1031 exchange your kids your, your seeds, babies your children your chilling <laughs> they also benefit they actually benefit the most I mean, you can benefit actually the most while you're living, <laughs> but <laughs> once you die, they actually get the sweetest part of it. Um, so real quick, I'll just say they have this thing called uh, step up basis. Now, how this works, and this is, I've, I've mentioned this, I posted this when we talk about wealth in 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 America, and we talk about how you know how is this generational. How is it passed down from you know generation to generation? How people come into this world with money, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying, with wealth. This is one of the main ways. There's nothing else that does this. All right, not stocks, not nothing. Real estate does this. So, like I said, when you sell a property and you do a 1031 exchange, as long as you fulfill the requirements of the exchange, you can defer all the taxes that you would have had to pay if you did not do an exchange. So you just keep deferring that money. So if you do, in your lifetime, if you do 10 exchanges, meaning you, you bought and sold property, each property that you're buying and selling, you're deferring 25 to 40% tax. So when you- Hey, what you been drinking, a Bud Light? I don't know, man. It's like, man, <laughs> had that Popeyes earlier or something. Like, Ooh, like, it's coming up. That sounds gross. <laughs> it was kind of good to look. <laughs> but you de you defer twenty five to forty percent taxes, mm -hmm. so by the time you get eighty, you know whenever you die, that might be a couple million dollars that Uncle Sam is looking like. Hey, okay, well now we need that money if you get ready to try to sell it. You know if you get to 70, 80 years old and you try to sell it, and you're like I want to go live on the beach, Uncle Sam like now nah, give me that money back. But this will happen. You die, <laughs> right? You you pass. Now it goes to your kids. Mm -hmm. But all that I, all that taxes you deferred, that you kept saying I owe you to the IRS, your kids don't owe it now. It just it, it it goes away. So now they get your property, and they don't owe any of those those taxes. Mm -hmm. That's the sweet part. Yeah. So th this means if you die without having sold a property obtained through a ten thirty one exchange, your heirs receive it at the stepped up market rate value and all deferred taxes are erased now your estate planner will um, need to be consulted 
um, to take maximum advantage of this opportunity. Yes, I'm telling y'all, listen, the sweet thing that people need to utilize with this 1031 exchange, when we talk about leaving things behind, leaving things for your kids so they're not coming up in this world having to struggle and go to people, look for jobs and all that crazy stuff, buy you some property now. And then when you, you know, when you near that age, you know, it can be a few years where you feel like, you know, I might have a few years left. Sell your property. You know what I'm saying? You can sell most or all of your property, do a 1031 exchange, and then go buy property for each one of your kids. You put it in a trust in their name. So when you pass, it automatically goes and it goes to them. So each one of your kids will have a property. And what they can do is they can automatically sell the property for fair market value. So usually when you have, would have sold that property, you would have only got the cost basis on what you paid for it. But because you pass, they don't owe those taxes and they get the IRS will let them get fair market value on that property. That's how you set your kids up, you know, just a little nugget. All right. Wow. That's <laughs> that's a lot of information. There's so I'm looking now, there's so many different ways you can do it. There was an example real quick, I'm telling you this real quick. Okay. So the guy said, look, if you had a, if you had some property that was worth one point eight million dollars and you had three kids, you would sell that property, one point eight million. You would do a 1031 exchange into three properties, let's say three houses. Mm -hmm. You get a trust, each one of your kids' names, everybody get a property. Let's say it's worth six hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. When you die, they can sell it and everybody got six hundred thousand. And because you gotta think, if you own property right now, let's say you own it for 20, 30 years, it might, you know, it might not be in the best of shape at that point. Mm -hmm. So true. the kids like, you know. I don't want it. Yeah, I wanna yeah. say, because you don't know what your kids might want to do. You don't care. You just want to make sure that they are not struggling when you leave. Right. That you set them up, you know, properly. Exactly. You know I mean, because you can't leave a job behind, folks. Just in case. No, you want life insurance. You want to leave them some stocks, bonds, and real estate. Yeah, CDs if you have it. I mean, all of that. Mm -hmm. You want to set them up. So, hey, there you go. All right. So, um, explain a little bit about the requirements of a ten thirty one exchange. All right, now, this might, you know, have a couple people like, nah, I don't feel like doing that. But <laughs> anything, it's a process. Anything worth, anything worth anything is, is gonna be, is gonna be a little headache. Right. So with the with the requirements of a ten thirty one exchange, one of them is you have to exchange the property that you're selling. You have to buy a like kind property, which we've already discussed. It has yeah. to be in the same asset class, right? You you. You can't exchange farm equipment for an apartment building. You can exchange a house for an apartment building, uh, 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 a Wendy's for a, a portfolio of houses. You know, they're in the same asset class. Um, you cannot exchange your property for a personal use. So you can't go buy a property that you're going to live in. You can't do that. Really? So what if you buy, okay, so what if you sold your house and got a commercial, excuse me, what if you sold your residential single family home and decided to purchase a commercial property? Um, you couldn't live in one of the units in that of that commercial property? No, you couldn't. Um, oh, wow. There is something where, they, where you can convert your rental property into a vacation home. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some requirements with like with how long you have to rent it out first. I think you have to rent it out for at least two years, mm -hmm. and you have to rent out um, a percentage of the units. It has to be a certain percentage of the units, and you can't live in it more than I think 14 days in a year. So as long as you kind of fit those requirements in the first two years, then after the second year you can move in. You can do what you want with their property. Okay. But you can't physically exchange uh, a house. For, I don't know, a, a, a townhome or four unit and you're living there. Oh, okay. You can't. Okay. It has to be for business investment purposes. Okay. Um, your replacement property um, has to be greater or equal to the property that you're relinqu relinquishing. Relinquishing. I don't know why. 
wishing. You know what I'm saying? I can't even talk to that. So <laughs> basically, the property you selling, the property that you're going to buy next has to be of the same value or has to be worth more. So example, your property is 200000 You can't go buy a property that's 100000 because what you're going to do is you're going to get hit with a, what they call a boot, boot. and they're going to tax you on the difference. So that 100000 between the 200000 you don't get taxed on that 100000 And you didn't so fully... So you get taxed on the difference. Exactly. So the sale cost and the purchase of the new asset. Exactly. Cost. Okay. So they're going to, you know, you didn't really fully complete the requirements of your 1031 if you do that. So you have to buy another property that's worth at least 200000 or more. And it would only make sense, you know. You're trying to scale up. Um, another requirement is, yeah, like I just said, no boots equal no taxes. So if you don't buy a property that's worth the same or more, um, then you didn't fulfill. You're going to get hit with a boot. They're going to they're gonna tax you. If you're exchanging some money in that, uh, for, uh, that 1031 exchange, Again, you cannot take any of the money back. So if, of that hundred thousand, you only spend eighty of it. You can't say, "Hey, let me get that twenty thousand and put it in our bank account." You're going to get taxed on that. To fulfill the exchange, you have you cannot touch any of the money. Now there is an exception to that. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk about but, the exception just really quickly. We'll we'll talk about it. Well, okay, let's talk about the exception. All right. Well, let me let me say the other requirements real quick. Okay. So the other requirement is uh, you must be the same taxpayer. So the taxpayer, whoever name is on the title of the home that you're selling, has to be the same name that's on the title of the home that you're buying. Um, and you have 45 days to identify a property. Will they um, extend that 45 days? Like no. if you need... <laughs> So they're not flexible at it all? It has to be uh, when I read it. Because I was looking at that. It has to be like uh, what they say, like basically like a, a catastrophe. So like COVID, mm -hmm. I think, might have qualified. I don't know if it will qualify on the identification period, but the time to close. So you have 45 days that you have to identify a property. That means you have to write, um, and your exchange facilitator will, will have this. You have to tell them, hey, this property over here in, in uh, Dallas, Texas, this eight-unit property, here's the address, here's the information, this is the property that we're going to try to buy. You have to do that within 45 days. After the 45 days, you have, well, really from the start that you sell your property, you have, you have six months to close. In that first 45 days, you have to identify what property you're so going you to buy. So you have to say, this is, these are my options. I want to see if any of these on this list will work. And it doesn't. But have, it has to be an act of God yes. for an exception. Yep, it has okay. to be an act of God. Something that was clearly out of your control. Okay. Um, you don't have to identify one property. You can identify, I believe, up to three. You may be able to do more, but I know that you can do at least three. So, um, some people will just put down a property, two or three properties that they're looking at. So they're like, all right, I'm going to get one of these properties. So as long as they're <laughs> on your identification list and you fulfill and you actually close on one of those properties, then you fulfill your 1031 exchange. Now, if you identify three properties and you don't close on any of them, then I think 30 or some exchanges, uh, facilitators are different. They'll make you wait the full six months and then they'll give you your money back. Tax. They're going to tax your ass. They'll give you all your money. But when tax time comes, because you didn't fulfill your exchange, you're going to have to pay all those taxes. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, you know, one of those requirements where people are like, damn, it gets tight. Um, so, yeah, what we did, real quick, um, like you said, you, you cannot touch any of the exchange money for this to work. The only exception... The only exception is, and uh, we're actually going to touch on this. Should I wait? Because we do talk about the capital gains. Okay. So, so we'll I'll wait. wait. I'll wait we'll a wait. second and tell y'all. We'll wait and tell you about the exception. So hold on, Slow Wealth family. <laughs> All right. So what are the tax? Because you, you mentioned things about taxes. Mm -hmm. um, 
briefly touch on that again because when it comes to tax implications with the 1031 exchange it can get confusing you're not we're not accountants by any means we're just you know just kind of discussing what taxes are involved with a 1031 exchange not how you should process it not how you should file you need to talk to your local tax accountant about um any of that man don't pay them taxes or tax attorney take that money you know what I'm <laughs> <laughs> don't no, uh, <laughs> yeah no nah, you don't want those taxes man uh so again the tax implications if you don't do a 1031 exchange so if you selling your house you got an option i can sell my house and just take whatever money I get back. So I'm gonna pay the real estate agent a commission. I'm gonna pay some of them closing costs, and then the feds gonna hit me up, state gonna hit me up, and then I'm gonna have to pay any depreciation that I I, I was taking. I'm gonna have to get that back, and then like I said, some place you, you gonna have to get what back? The the depreciation. Oh, you have tax. to give that back. You have to get that back. Okay. Because you was you was deducting it. Okay. Um, I don't know if it's a full amount. Again, I ain't an accountant. But I do know that it's a depreciation recapture tax. Okay. So some of that depreciation that you was getting, you got to now get that back. Wow. And then you'll get hit with the net investment income tax. I don't believe that's in eight, every state, um, but I think it's, like I said, around 3.8%. And then in some states, you have... And let's go back to the recapture. Let me explain a little bit of what that is. If a property sells for more than its depreciated value you may have to recapture the depreciation. Mm -hmm. That means the amount of depreciation will be included in your taxable income from the sale of the property. And this, we ain't even going to that because that's a lot of accounting <laughs> Yeah, that's stuff. a lot of accounting stuff. I don't even, yeah. That, <laughs> you talk to your accountant, they'll be able to explain a whole lot better. But I do know when you talk about the depreciation, it's not so much on the building, it's the land. Because when you do uh, in, improvements to the property, they can't really depict what you're doing and how much that's worth. The land is what they can look at and see how much that that is actually worth. And usually, well, most cases, your land is not going to be worth as much as your property. So, um, you know, that's a whole, again, that's a whole little accounting side that I don't even want to deal with. Um, but you'll have to pay some of that back, if not all. And, like I said, in some places, I don't know if it's most places, but in Washington, you got the excise tax. That's some that's some stuff we didn't even know about until we had to pay it. Um, so, that's the kind of tax that you're going to be, uh, you're going to be hit with. All right. So, if I sell my property, I'll owe all those taxes or I can go through a 1031 exchange and defer taxes. Is there any other way to avoid taxes when selling my property? I think we briefly went over this before, but if you want to reiterate. No, this is where we're going to talk about, about the exceptions. Case, exceptions. Okay. So yes, this is when we're going to get into the exceptions about how you can get some of your money back from now, 1031 exchange. If any of y'all out there, y'all own the house. He rubbing his hands together. Y'all like he about of, the season y'all with I'm some game. I'm about to get some game real quick. Cause right. be nobody. I told somebody like at work. And he was like, what? I was like, yeah, man, how long you own your property? He was like, I think you own this probably 15 years. And he was like, yeah, man, I know it's worth like, you know, I, I forgot the amount. And he was like, they were building all this. I was like, man, you know you can get that money tax-free, right? Change the game. So listen, <laughs> if any of y'all out there, y'all own like a house. <laughs> yeah, y'all own a house. Well, his wife didn't want him to sell it. Uh -oh. So she's making him hold on to it. But if any of y'all own a house, um, you know, any kind of property, right? And, I, and I'm not going to say any kind of property. It has to be a residential uh, property that was your primary resident. So the IRS says this. If you lived in that property and it was your primary residence for two out of the last five years, and it doesn't have to be like you could have lived in it one year, Moved out two years and then moved back that fourth year and then moved out the fifth year. Oh, so you don't have to live in it consecutive years. It has to be two out of the last five years. Okay. If you live in your property two out of the last five years and you sell the property 
you are entitled up to $250,000 if you're single, $500,000 if you're married. You're entitled to that money off the sale of your property and you don't have to pay capital gains tax. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Continue. Hey, I was telling y'all like, man, hold on, where's my pen and paper, man? Let me add this up real quick. Right. Like, Continue. Hey. I'm sitting here looking at him like, what? Hey, listen. So the exception, now I'll tell you some exceptions to this rule. And so there's I'll, an exception to the exception? So we have an oh, exception Lord. to our 1031 stand. I'm gonna tell you real quick, but the exceptions to this rule meaning the IRS, the two out of the five years. The exceptions to this is if you did not live in the property two of the last five years. So if you bought the property, you lived in it for a year, and then y'all moved out, and you didn't live back, you didn't go back and live there, then you would not qualify for that. But, but, um, so basically you only lived in it for one year, but if you lived in it for two of the last five years, so that means if you moved in... You might have moved out for two years and then you moved back. Or if you moved in, lived there two years, moved out, and you didn't go back. But then you sold it the fifth year. Oh, okay. You qualified. Okay. You didn't live in it the last two, you know, almost three years. Mm -hmm. But you lived in the two of the last five years. Okay, I see. So okay. if you go to sell a property today and you go back five years, you need to have lived in that property at least two of the years. Okay. If you did, you qualify. And it doesn't have to be consecutive. It don't have to be consecutive. Okay. It, you can, you know, the, and the only people that have an exception to that, um, I believe, is military. Mm -hmm. I don't know the exact rule, but there is exceptions with, with military. Again, please speak to your tax accountant or your tax attorney about this. Yeah, they know all the IRS rules. Mm -hmm. um, so that's an, that's an exception. Um, the other exception is if it was not your primary residence. So it has to have been your primary residence, meaning FHA, you move in, you owner-occupying, these are, these are the little, you know, the little nuggets, you know what I'm saying? You setting yourself up. So um, the other exception um, is, like I said, you didn't own it for the last two or the five years. So, excuse me. Bud Light. I don't know what's going on. So if you bought the property. And then you sold it a year later. Well, you can't qualify because you didn't own it for two years. Mm. So you have to five. own the property for at least two years. So if you own it for five, mm -hmm. you lived in the two years, you moved out, you qualify. If you bought the property, you own it for three years, you lived in the two years, you went to go sell it in the fourth year, or you sold in the third year, sorry, you qualify. So you have to live in that property. Whatever you do, you got to live in two years. <laughs> so no matter what you do with that property, two of the last five years from today, you got to live in that property two years, mm -hmm. however okay. you do it. And it has to be considered your primary residence. Oh, you are really stressing that. I'm, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the other exception With is exception you. exception to <clears throat> exception once again. The other exception okay. to this rule that I know people listening to is you could not have already claimed this exclusion on another year within the last two years. So what if, does that mean? So say say today you go to try to sell your house. And you say, Oh, you know, I'm married. We about to get two hundred thousand off to sell this house and we ain't gonna pay capital gains tax. But IRS says, Well, a year and a half ago you had another house that you sold. And y'all y'all kept a hundred thousand on that and y'all didn't pay no capital gains tax. You paying capital gains tax on this house because you you can't take it you can't take advantage of that within two years. Damn, I am so happy you are not the IRS because I don't like how you said that. I get I'm offended. If today you <laughs> sell a house that you lived in in two years of the last five years, mm -hmm. so today you taking advantage of it, right? You sold your house. It's a two hundred thousand dollar difference from the price that you bought it for from what it's appraised at. You and your wife. To walk away with two hundred thousand dollars, right? Minus a couple of you know closing costs, whatever. Now, if let's say six months from now you buy another house, and in a year from that you go to sell it, you can't take advantage of it again. 
because you just did it already. You can't do it in two years, within that two-year time span. So you could take advantage of 1031 exchange exceptions mm-hmm. um, or the exception. The, the, the exclusion, yes. Yeah. Uh, you could take advantage of that every two years? Basically. Oh, okay. Okay. Basically. So those are the exceptions, you know, to that. So if anybody, like I said, again, you own a property, you better go check Zillow, Redfin, your local real estate agent and say, hey, how much is my property worth? COVID is here, you know what I'm saying? I know people need a little bit of change. Uh, you, and people out here trying to buy a property. Hopefully they're out here doing something strange for change. <laughs> you might not have to. You sell that, that, sell that crib, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey. <laughs> You might not have to do that strain. The buyer will, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, our 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 little exception. What we did, all right. So, like I said, with the ten thirty one, you cannot touch the money in the ten thirty one, or you avoid your ten thirty one. So the IRS basically like, look, if you touch this money, you voided your ten thirty one, and now we about to tax you. Uh, so what happened is we bought our property. And we lived in it for two years before we ended up selling it. I think we owned it almost three years. We sold, we lived in it two years. Well, actually, the whole time that we had, we owned it, we was we was living in it. So we fulfilled that exclusion of the two out of the last five years. So if we wanted to have sold that property, we would have just got our money and not had to pay capital gains tax. But this is the kicker. So it was a four unit. Now, it comes a little trickier when you are owner occupying a duplex, triplex, and a, and a quad, and a, a quadplex, because you're only living in one of the units. So what the IRS will do is they'll say you won't have pay, you won't have to pay capital gains tax on the unit that you lived in, but the other units that you rent, you would have to pay capital gains tax on. So if you're in a house and you sell it and you fulfill those requirements, you walk away with all that money. But when you go to a duplex where you only live on one side, the other side you're renting out. So that's not considered your primary residence. So you're going to owe capital gains tax on that. So what we did is we did a a 1031 exchange, but we also took advantage of the money without having to pay the capital gains tax on the unit that we lived in. So basically... The money we got, we got back, it was split into fours. So one-fourth of that, we took that money into the bank, and we didn't have to pay tax on it. The other three units, that money, the, the other three-thirds, we exchanged <laughs> that into another property. So there might be some of y'all that's in that situation, and you might, and I researched the hell out of this, and I bugged my 1031 exchange facilitator, my our accountant. I was like, hey, can this work? How can this work? Are y'all sure? Because I don't want them coming back talking about we owe no taxes. Like, <laughs> right. You know, and they was like, no, you can do that. You can take a fourth of it because you lived in one of those units. So that was our exception. Yes, yes. Um, now, <laughs> 1031 exchange sounds expensive. What are the costs for a 1031 exchange? Well, the costs are between six and twelve hundred dollars, and that can just depend on who your exchange facilitator is. Uh, I think we paid. Uh, I want to say we paid six, twelve. I don't, you know, I don't remember how much we paid because it comes out of your proceeds. So when they when they're holding their money, when they ended up moving that money into the new property, they take their fee out. So I, I don't know. It was a nine hundred thousand. I don't know. Yeah, they take it off top. We knew then. That's for sure. Oh yeah, we knew what they were charging. <laughs> we just can't remember. Yeah, we just can't remember. Um, but it was worth it, you know. Yeah, it was. It was definitely worth it. Um, how would you How would you suggest finding a good um, exchange facilitator? I mean, people can go to Google, but it's a little bit more. Um, I think you have to be a little bit more meticulous when you're looking for certain exchange facilitators because you want to make sure that you get someone who is definitely um, prudent and uh, very credited. Is that right? 
Yeah, because um, the exchange facilitators they're not IRS, they're not regulated by the IRS, so it's kind of like <laughs> I don't want to say you on your own, but you kind of is. You really have to do your research. Um, but I would say do you know go by word of mouth, and really if you're a part of a, any kind of a rental housing association, that's probably going to be one of your best uh, sources because you're talking about all those investors. Somebody in there then bought property and sold it. So they'll tell you, hey, this is who I use. And in most rental housing associations, they're going to be affiliated with some uh, 1031 exchange companies. So they're going to already have done their history, their background on those exchanges to, to basically vouch for them. And that's how we found ours. Is, is it regulated at all? The 1031 exchange facilitators, are they regulated? No, they're supposed to be part of... Uh, uh, the FEA, which is the Federal Exchange Accommodators. So you have to make sure that they're part of that. You can do, do your research. I think uh, www.1031.org and you can find like all the tax uh, information, any updates, um, education about the 1031 exchange. And just really research um, the company. Google and look at reviews. You know, people will tell you, you know, how their experience was because you get the wrong exchange facilitator, and they'll probably mess up your whole um, exchange, and you end up, you know, owing a lot of money um, because they didn't do it right. And because they're not regulated, if that is the case that you get someone who isn't competent, not only will you owe money, but you could lose your money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because this, you they have to know the the IRS laws. They have to know, you know. If they get audited, is all their information, you know, correct? So you want somebody that's reputable, um, that people have used, you know, on 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 again. So the the company we use was well known. Like I asked, I don't know how many people, and everybody said this company. That was the first company they said, and they told me the person's name, and I said okay. You know, I researched them, and I said yep, all right. And I've called and talked to him numerous times. He was really cool, you know, really knowledgeable. And he answered answer the phone. Answered the phone, asked all my questions. Expeditiously. Yes. <laughs> I mean, because at the end of the day, they're going to be holding your money. So I'm not going to be ashamed to ask you no questions. I don't want you to make me feel ashamed. Like, you're going to be holding my money. So, yeah, I'm going to ask you everything I want to ask you. And I hope you answer it. I'm just going to go somebody else. So, um, yeah. So, recap on the pros of a 1031 exchange. The pros, the pros. All right, so the pros really, um, I would say you get to invest in portfolios. So let's say you own a house, and in Memphis, Tennessee, there's a guy selling 10 houses in a portfolio. You might get enough money from the seller of your one house that can go buy you that portfolio of 10 houses. Yeah, from your single-family home. You know, basically scale up. Um, Another positive is you get a reset on your depreciation. So if you had your property three, four, or five years and you was taking a part of you were taking advantage of the depreciation from that property, well now when you buy the new property, it is resets. Because remember IRS gives you 27 and a half years um, life, depreciation life on your property. On a residential property. On a residential. And commercial, I think it's 32 years. Don't quote me on that. I think it's 32 years on a commercial property. But the residential is 27 and a half. Um, so that just basically resets if you go and purchase another residential property. Um, another positive is you get to invest in a new market. So let's say you're in you know, Memphis, Tennessee. But let's say, oh no, let's say you're in California, L.A. And you're like, you know what, L.A. is beginning to be real expensive. I want to go into a new market. So, you know, I'm going to find some cheaper. So you're looking, you know, let's say east and you find Memphis. And you're like, okay, well, the money I have in, in California, that'll give me three times the amount in Memphis, Tennessee. So now I can go and explore a new market that may increase my cash flow, my cash return, you know, all of that. So um, that's another positive. Uh, another positive is you get to, well, there's no limit. 
there's no limit on how many exchanges you can do. So there's no limit on how many 1031 exchanges that you can do. You can do 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. In a lifetime? In a lifetime. Okay, but you have to wait a, 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 a lapsed amount of time between those exchanges, right? Or That I forgot. So I, you need to, t- if you are doing it, you need to talk to an exchange facilitator to make sure that if there's a required amount of lapse time that you're meeting that requirement. Yeah, I don't, if it is, it's not much. If it is, it's not, a, it's not a lot of time. It's just, it's not like the, you know, the, the other exclusion where you got to live in a property for a certain amount of time. You, it's not like you can only do one every five years or something. No, I know you can do at least one a year. Mm-hmm. It may be more though. I'm pretty sure it's more. But um, one other positive is you can invest in a higher value property. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a C-class property, you know, let's say in a not so good neighborhood, you may have, you might be able to take the money from the sale of that property and go to a higher market, a higher appreciated market oh, like, like Seattle market or, or okay. you know, yeah. L.A., somewhere, Austin. So that might get you in the door where you may not have had the money at first to get in. Um, so, yeah, that's the positives. There's always some negatives. The negatives. The negatives is the timeline is tight. Very tight. So that 45 like days. A nun in a whorehouse. Yeah. <laughs> wow, really? <laughs> uh, you're going to bleep that out. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> Keep so, my corny jokes in. I used to. So the timeline is tight. So that 45-day identification window, it goes by quick. And they always tell you, to don't don't ever wait until you sell your property before you start looking for the replacement property. You should be looking for your replacement property the moment you know that you want to sell that first yes, property. absolutely. You should already be looking. And a lot of times you can, you know, do it simultaneously. Um, and we'll probably, I'll probably mention that at the end about the different exchanges, but... Um, you know, you kind of want to time it. So, 45-day window to identify, and it goes quick. Um, the second negative is finding a like-kind property. Sometimes that can be hard because, like now, there's not a lot of stuff on the market. So, you're trying to find something of like-kind in the same asset class. That could be hard depending on where you live. Uh, you may have to go out of state. Um, so, it can be a little tight. Uh, the next or the last negative is, is the boot. The boot. You can get taxed on the boot. So, again, any money you receive back from that exchange, always get taxed. Unless <laughs> it was the exception like ours. You know, so. And again, um, basically what a boot is, is if the replacement property is of lesser value than the property sold, the difference which is the cash boot, is taxable. Because all that money you cannot touch, it goes to the intermediary, the exchange facilitator. Facilitator. I said Terry. Mm-hmm. Facilitator. They keep that money. So you're not supposed to touch it per the IRS rules. If you do touch it, you say, hey, let me get 20000 of that back. Yeah, let me hold some. They won't deny you that. That's the thing. The exchange facilitator, when you close and you tell them, hey, I want 20000 of that money in my account. They'll give it to you, but you're going to get taxed on it. Wow. That is a lot of information. It is. Listen to it twice. (laughs) Listen to it twice. That is a lot of information. I mean, of course, there are always fees involved in the exchange process. Uh (laughs) Broker's commission, because you're selling your original property. Um intermediary fees, which would be the exchange facilitator. Um, filing fees, if you have an attorney, attorney fees, mm-hmm. um, insurance, um, title premiums, uh, tax advisor fees, if you're getting advice from um, your accountant, finder fees, if someone went out there and found you <laughs> a new property to um, to purchase through the exchange, and escrow fees, and then other fees, um, if you know, you want to make sure you are up on your property taxes before you put your home or property on the market, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
But um, yeah, so that's all, you know, that's pretty much all about a 1031 exchange. It can be a little daunting because as Ramon said, the biggest con for us was the time limit because you have to identify a property within 45 days and you know it being a tight market where there are more buyers than sellers at a time like this it would be hard i mean you would be hard pressed to do a 1031 exchange and get something that you really really want um to pay for i mean you may be overpaying for something by a significant amount um and then once that 45 days, so basically it's an entire six months process, if you think about it, because within that six month, six months, uh, the first 45 days, you're identifying the property. And then the remainder of time, you have to complete the sale and exchange um, title transfer from you to the new owner or from the new owner to you, excuse me. Mm-hmm. There are different type of, um, 1031 exchanges. Do you want to briefly discuss those? Yeah. So, um, there's four main types of 1031 exchanges and we didn't really talk about that. Um, and I'll briefly touch on them. The one we did was called a delayed, uh, 1031 exchange. And that's the most common one. And that's when you sell a property, you sell your property first that you're relinquishing. And then you purchase another property. That's the most common type of 1031 exchange that most people do. The other three types, one is called a simultaneous 1031 exchange. And that's really where you're buying, I mean, you're selling your property and buying the replacement property at the same time. And with that one, everything has to go right. If anything is off, like the wiring of the money from escrow, it get delayed or anything like that, it can kill the whole exchange. So a lot of people don't do that one. The um, the third one is called a reverse 1031 exchange. And that's when the replacement property, the, the property that you know, you're selling, I'm sorry, that you're buying, is purchased first, and then you sell the existing property after. So um, you'll go, let's say, before you sell your property, you'll buy a property that you, you know that you want to exchange, and then you'll sell the property that you have. So it's kind of an all cash. Usually that's something that you do kind of all cash. The last property or the last exchange is a construction 1031 exchange. That's uh, one that we were going to do. So if you're buying a property that needs uh, some improvements, it needs some work on it, and you're like, well, we have some of that money in exchange. Let's see if we can use some of that money and use it on the property to fix it up. And this one is called a build to suit exchange. But it's normally called a construction because okay. you're using the money to to fix it up. Um but that one costs more money because they'll have to the the exchange company will have to take title to the property, let you use the money to fix it up, and then they have to title the property back to you. So it costs more and it's more time. Mm, so okay. there's not a lot of people that do that one. Uh, so, yeah, there's really just four types. And on that one, you're still subject to the 180-day time limit. Yes. Okay. As far as I, I know. So, yeah. Oh, well, that's it. That's it. That's all. We love y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so, hey, yeah, that's the 10 day one exchanges. Um, it's a great tool. It's one of the best tools to use to set up yourself, your family, especially when you leave the earth. So um, hopefully we gave you a lot of information um, to go along with, to use, and you're able to utilize that in your uh, investing career. Absolutely. All right. So this is the end of our show. Thank you so much for listening to the Slow Wealth Podcast. That is Success Lives on Elevation with Kendra and Ramon. We um, want you to subscribe, leave comments, love us, a.k.a. like us, And we are on Facebook at Slow Wealth. That is Slow, S-L-O-E, Wealth, W-E-A-L-T-H. Again, we're on Facebook. You can listen to us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, 
Spotify and Amazon Music? Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much again to leave you with our motivational quote for the day. If you wish to move mountains tomorrow, you must start by lifting stones today. Thank you. We love y'all. Always.